Hey, good morning, Grace. Praise Jesus. Welcome to another opportunity uh, to glorify God. And as Pastor James just said a moment ago, take out your Bibles. We'll be in Colossians chapter 3. And also in your bulletin, you also got a a sermon notes with a bunch of sermon questions. You can look at those as we go through the sermon. um, And find a friend or two to question during the week. Ask them what they thought. You can read. And uh, we will glorify God together. Let's pray. Lord Almighty, uh, take away the distractions from our hearts right now. Lord, I pray that you'd forgive us of our sins, and Lord, you'd help us to hear your word, to penetrate our thick and stubborn hearts uh, so that we will glorify you. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. A lawyer's number one rule is never ask a question you don't know the answer to. A soldier's number one rule is, if it's a fair fight, you've done something wrong. A Christian's number one rule is trust the promises of God for you in Christ. I think the number one reason why we don't trust the promises of God for us in Christ more than we do is because we spend our time thinking about things that ultimately don't matter. We spend so much time being consumed by trivialities that we forget to think about, to dwell on, to concentrate on the things that really matter. Because the good truly can be the enemy of the best. Let's be honest. You don't trust the promises of God for you in Christ as much as you would like to, do you? Want to change that? Do you want to grow in your ability to know and trust those promises? That's what this sermon is all about. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above with Christ, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Today, I want to convince you, don't believe everything you think. Jesus' friend, Paul, helps us fight and win the war to defend yourself from the enemy of your soul. This enemy has one primary weapon to trip you up. That is lies. Jesus said, the devil has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. I love the King James. It says, he speaks his native tongue. I love that image. He speaks his native tongue for he is a liar and the father of lies. Paul elsewhere describes Satan as the prince 
of the power of the air. He is the one who currently rules over the atmosphere through which you and I move and be, uh, live and move and have our being. This won't be a surprise to anybody in this room, but you and I have a formidable enemy who attacks our ability to keep or even want to keep the promises of God in front of our eyes. And that is why you and I need to learn to fight with weapons that can win against the enemy of our souls. These weapons are not guns. They're not bombs. They are thoughts. They are the thoughts that you think. And that is why we must not believe everything we think. Paul makes this even more explicit than he does here when he gets to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. What strongholds, Paul? What is it that we ought to destroy? We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to the obedience of of Christ. That is exactly why you and I must not believe everything we think. Now, I want to convince you this morning that the Bible is not only authoritative. In other words, not only is the Bible the thing to which you owe your allegiance, your thinking about, your believing in, but I want to convince you that the Bible is sufficient. It is all you need to win the battle against Satan. You already have what you need to fight Satan. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, talk to somebody at the Welcome Center over there. We will give you one. No cost. It's yours. Because the Bible is all that you need to win the battle against Satan, the world, and your flesh. And the Bible is powerful. It is able to cut through all the garbage that you've collected and bounces around inside your mind so that you will be enabled to fight and win so that you can believe the promises of God for you in Christ. The first step in what we call, this is the first step in what we call biblical counseling. This is how we get our feet on the ground and start to live the life that you and I want to live. So, how do we fight this battle against sin? We begin, first of all, by dwelling on what is best. Paul writes in verses 1 and 2, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Let's pull these verses apart and see how we, you and I, can overcome Satan's designs. Once you notice, first of all, Paul is talking to Christians. Paul is talking to people who already have trusted the promises of God for us in Christ. Now, I am positive that there are people in here about whom that is not true. You are welcome. We want you to listen because this is how you also can get a hold of your mind that goes in too many directions. 
But Paul's assumption here is that if you are reading this or you're listening to a sermon about it 2,000 years after it was written, then you're committed. You want to know how to have victory over that sin that you hate. That you long both to fight and win the war against your soul, your very self. And so Paul begins with his most important bit of advice in this regard. Seek, diligently look for, chase after, want to own in your heart the things that are above. Now, that begs the question, what on earth is Paul talking about? What does he mean, seek the things that are above? To begin with, everyone has a choice. You have a choice. I have a choice. Everyone can decide what we think about. You can spend your time thinking about things that are banal, things that are trivial, things that are unimportant. Or you can spend time thinking about the things that will make you the person God created you to be. You can think about things that will make you the best version of yourself. Don't let your ambitions be pulled down by gravity into the gutter. Don't limit your imagination to money, sex, and power. Don't go on making mud pies when you're offered a vacation in the Rockies. Listen, I'm assuming that I'm talking to people who love Jesus, okay? I want you to catch that. You are a Christian. And if it is true that you're a Christian, then you have tasted and found that God is good. You have gone to His Word and you have found your heart filled with wonder. You have experienced your senses stimulated by actual joy. And you have noticed your heart drawn to beauty. But it hasn't stayed. It hasn't lasted. The feeling has departed. Listen, the Bible is sufficient. But just like a three-month-old can't eat steak, you and I need to develop our capacity to experience the joys and the peace that you simply cannot get on network television or cable for that matter. You and I need to be trained to eat solid food. But I'll tell you, there's nothing that cream of peas have that tri-tip doesn't. Amen? You can begin that training when you start to realize that you don't have to believe everything you think. So, what then? Instead of just being chasing after trivial things that really don't matter, begin to think about things that will. Begin to focus on heaven's priorities, the values that God has. What are these things? Well, I'm glad you asked. The first is to love God and to love those around you. Matthew 22, 37 through 40 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus is saying every command you find in the Old Testament, the law and prophets, hang on the commandment to love God and to love your neighbor. The second of heaven's priorities is to help others grow, help other people grow in their ability to love God and love their neighbor. Jesus says in almost the very last words He said on earth, He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And look, see, pay attention. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now listen, I don't mean to be overly simplistic, but if you concentrate on loving God and loving your neighbor and helping other people to love God and love your neighbor, if, that, if your thoughts are in there, you're golden. Now those are wide categories. I challenge you this afternoon before the game starts, I challenge you to think about that. Think about all the things you can think about just by concentrating on those. Now, the Bible goes wider. Uh, look at Philippians 4, 8 if you want to get some more ideas to concentrate on. But these are ideas. These are tools. These verses are tools that will enable you when you get stuck, when you're in that rut that you just can't get out of in your thinking, Think about these verses and you will be able to get out. But don't misunderstand me. Don't think that anything that I'm saying today means that you should, you know, put on white robes and go climb a mountain somewhere somewhere and pray until Jesus comes. All you'll find up there is Kool-Aid. This passage is as practical as a tank of gas in your car. I am not talking about something that only holy people can do. I'm talking to you and me. If you choose, you can rest. You can strengthen yourself. You can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this. And you can learn not to believe everything you think. Which begs another question. The question is, okay, Greg, what is it that I'm not supposed to believe? Well, let me just give you three really common ones. Things last forever. Madison Avenue wants you to believe that things last forever. We need to start reminding ourselves that whatever toy we think will give us unending happiness won't. Whether that's a new rifle or a new car or a new sporting event, the good times won't last. They never do. You know this to be true. The second thing that we can't believe, you are the center of the universe. I call this junior high disease. You remember when you were in junior high, you were so worried about those zits and blackheads, and you thought everybody was looking at yours? They weren't. They were too worried about their own zits to worry about yours. That lady who cut you off today on the freeway, she wasn't thinking about you. She doesn't even know you exist. You are not the center of the universe. 
And number three, the lie you have to choose not to believe. You have all the time in the world. That sin that you're cherishing, that you don't want to let go of, that flavor that you keep coming back to over and over again, put it to death now. Because every time you sin, every time I sin, we are becoming more like that sin. And my friends, there is nothing, there is no sin that you can do that's all by yourself, that doesn't impact everybody else. It does impact them because you are becoming more like that sin. And that is changing the direction of your family, of your coworkers, of people you don't even know are looking at you. Don't believe everything you think. Instead, learn, train yourself, work out your mind to dwell on things that are where Christ is. What does that mean? What does it mean to dwell on things where Christ is? Well, first of all, Christ sits in the most honored seat in the universe. He's got it all. He is above everybody. Secondly, Paul emphasizes here that Christ is sovereign. He is in control. He is on the throne. He is the creator God and nothing gets past him. I want you to imagine yourself walking down the road and you turn around a corner and the first thing you see is this enormous, mean dog. Now, the second thing you notice is this big, burly dude with a big leash holding this dog back. <laughs> Whew! Makes me feel a little bit better. You're even happier than that when you see that this dog owner loves you. And he is for you. And he doesn't want you to get eaten by this dog. When you're paying attention to the things that are above... You're not looking at the dog. You're looking at the owner. And the owner of this dog is sovereign. He is in control of all things. Not only is he in control of all things, but he is the most honored person in the universe. And that is why you don't have to be afraid of anything except falling afoul of this honored, sovereign, great dog owner. And that is why the Bible repeatedly in the New Testament and in the Old commands us to fear the Lord and not the dog on the leash. Not cancer, not Satan, and certainly not the economy. Because as much damage as that dog can do to you, you have a God who has all the sheep on a thousand hills. That is why you and I can set your minds, our minds on things that are above and not on things that are on the earth. I love how Paul, in, in his imagery, one of the common things that he will do is he'll repeat himself. Set your minds, set your, um, seek after the things that are above where Christ is. And then he says in verse 2, set your minds on things above. He repeats himself because he knows that we are thick headed and it sometimes takes a lot to bounce around inside this gray matter and so paul repeats himself and so we ask ourselves why paul if 
You're repeating yourself. Why should I listen? Why should I set my heart on things above? Well, my favorite verse in this regard is Jesus' answer. And basically His answer is because the things on earth, they don't last. Matthew 6.19 Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or thieves break in and steal. Because whatever you're dwelling on, whatever you're searching for on the internet every single night when you get home from work, whatever you are thinking about when your brain goes into neutral. That's your treasure. That is your mind dwelling on something. And that is why one of the most important secrets to happiness in your life now and in eternity is that you believe that things will not bring you happiness. What brings you happiness is a right relationship to God and those who are around you. Because they will all fail you. Therefore, don't believe everything you think, especially when what you are thinking about is whatever Hollywood or the local mall is selling. we got to dwell on what is best. And then secondly, Paul's second big point in this passage is we must remember our hope. Paul says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Now, one of the things when I was a young Christian I really struggled with was what on earth is Paul talking about you have died? I think the most clear passage is in Romans 6. He says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We might live in a new life, a new power, a new source of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection by his, like his. If you identify with Christ, if you join his team, so to speak, if you go to Big Five and buy a jersey that says Jesus, 03, God is counting that as dying with him. Dying to the quote-unquote life that is found in this day-to-day world around us. I cannot emphasize this enough. Dying to whatever forms of life you think you can find on this earth won't satisfy. If you forget everything else I say, I want you to catch this. You can find a manner of joy or peace or meaning apart from God. Don't get me wrong. You, you can find something there. But it won't last. And it sure as heck won't satisfy. And this life is what everyone around us considers normal. It is a part of the air we breathe. But that life is worn, thin, 
It's flimsy. And when you're laying on your deathbed, is completely taken away. Paul, however, promises that if we die to this life, if we refuse to answer the call it has on us, then we might walk in newness of life. But my friends, this is simple. It's not complex. But it sure as heck is not easy. It is not easy. This takes faith. It takes a willingness and it takes an effort to believe what God says about your life is true and that His promises are worth it. Ridiculous! Outrageous! Why would you believe this stuff? Your mind calls out to you because all you have seen tells you to trust in what you can hold. But your heart, your heart knows better. Don't believe everything you think. And Christian, listen. Even after you've trusted the promises of God for you in Christ, even after you have walked with Christ for a ways down the road, it will be very hard to put those things out of our head. It will take discipline. Our self-image will still be wrapped up in our job, our home, or our car. Our security will be wrapped up in our money or our health or our connections. Our pleasures will still be wrapped up in our entertainment. And that's why we need to be reminded that good things in excess become toxic. You must, and I, you and I must train ourselves with much, long, and sometimes even painful discipline not to believe what we think. Now, this is the most autobiographical sermon I've preached in a long time. I hope you understand that. So, a very fair question to ask of me is, Greg, if all this is true, how have you fared with this? What, what has happened? Have you achieved any success? Many of you have heard me tell the story. When I was a teenager, when I was not sure if I was a Christian or a little bit before or after I became a Christian, I remember thinking, I wish I could just stick a vacuum in my brain and vacuum out all the garbage that had collected in there. It took me years to figure it out, but I did find an answer. What is that vacuum that can suck out all the garbage in your brain? Bible memory. Memorizing Scripture. When I am memorizing Scripture, I am walking more closely with God. And when I am being lazy, I'm thinking about my toys. I'm thinking about how somebody's mistreating me. I'm thinking about how life isn't fair in one way or another. Anybody else in the room been there? Look, I believe from the bottom of my heart that memorizing Scripture is the single most important thing that you can do to improve your walk with God. Now, let me turn that statement into legalism because I want you to see 
what legalism looks like. Instead of saying, I believe that memorizing Scripture is the single most important thing you can do to improve your walk with God, the legalistic way of saying that is, you are not a good Christian if you don't memorize Scripture. That you need to push out. That is a lie from the enemy. The most significant discipline you can begin today to improve your walk with Jesus tomorrow is Scripture memorizing. That is grace and truth. Why? Because unless your mind is washed and continually washed and rewashed and washed again with God's Word, then you have to know that you cannot believe everything you think. Because you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is a revolutionary concept. This is a concept that needs to be brought forcefully to our heads over and over again. Let me use an example. Let's say your thing is golf. You think about golf. You think about golfers. You think about um, golfing equipment. You think about the next time you're going to go golfing, the, who is going to be golfing with you, who it is you want to bury in that sand trap because they spanked you last time you played. That is what it looks like to have your mind set on golf. Now, in and of itself, golf is not a bad thing to think about. I could certainly think of worse things to think about, and I'm sure you can as well. The trouble is when golf or Downton Abbey becomes your life. It begins to seep into all of your thoughts, even when you know that you're supposed to be thinking about something else. What Paul tells us in verse 3 is that Downton Abbey is not where you will find life. No matter who loves whom or who gets revenge or who buys the mansion next door, if all of your early 20th century British fantasies come true... You will not find real life there. You can't. It's not there. Because the source of life is Jesus. It's hard to believe that, isn't it? Because we've got it so ingrained in our head. We have to find out who Professor McGonagall, I mean, whatever the lady's name in Downton Abbey. Oh, come on. Some of you got that. Give me, throw me a bone. Because Professor McGonagall is telling somebody something. It's not there. Life is not there. Now, I'm not telling you to don't watch Downton Abbey. I've never seen it. I don't know if it's good or not, but it's a soap opera. But it's because the source that Paul says is Christ Himself. But we can't see Him. He's not standing in front of us. So we go to my soap opera and watch Phil Robertson. Or we watch Peyton Manning. Or we watch Alton Brown. Whoever it is. That's what we look at. Furthermore, our life being hidden in Christ means that the world can't see your source of life either. They will mock you for choosing to invest your time differently because they can't even begin to fathom the values that you have in 
Christ. They simply cannot see it because the God of this world has blinded their eyes so that they cannot see the glory of God in the face of Christ. But lastly and most importantly, your life being hidden with Christ in God's means that it is protected. It is guarded. You don't have to worry about your favorite football team winning today or the halftime show really being about music instead of whether some chili pepper is going to take off his shirt in the 20th, 20 degree weather. It doesn't matter, really. Whether Sherman stops Manning or Manning steps closer to his goal of smacking down Brady, the win will last but a short time. And if you try to get your life out of the happenings of this world, you will be dazed and confused by the utter unpredictability of life. But my friends, brothers, sisters, we have a real hope. We have a solid foundation upon which you can build your life. You have something better than all the gold in Fort Knox. You have the hope of glory. In John chapter 11, Jesus is walking back to Bethany. And there, right before he gets into town, he bumps into his dear friend Martha. Martha has been grieving. She's a little bit upset at Jesus. And Jesus responds to Martha. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And we're, we're reading along in our Bibles and our hearts jump. Yes! Yes! I do! Woohoo! I'm a great person. I'm so glad I got that answer right. But listen for a moment. She did not, she hadn't yet seen Lazarus rise from the grave that she had just put him in. She hadn't yet seen Jesus rise from the grave that Pilate put him in. She hasn't seen 2,000 years of church history or even held a Bible in her hand. Her confession was remarkable. And you and I, my friends, we are in a much better position than Martha for hearing by faith and for living by the promises of God for you in Christ. It is because we have this word that you and I can stand toe to toe against the enemy of your soul. So the next time Satan deceitfully promises that you can have more fun by thinking about whatever hindrance you enjoy or whatever flavor of sin you find particularly sweet, you can stand and you can say, am I going to believe the liar or am I going to believe the promises of the one who loves my soul? You can remind yourself not to believe everything you think. Let's pray. Oh God, we are living in a culture that desperately wants to tell us what to think. And that culture in many, many times is lying to us and telling us to seek out that which is poison. God, give us the grace not to believe what we think. Help us instead to trust in you and to know that you are great and gracious and you will guide us and help us to be the men and the women of God you have created us to be.
Lord, I pray doubly you would even prepare our souls as we take a physical reminder of that grace you have given us so that we will be ready to fight and to win the most important battle that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Indeed, it is true that we are fighting a battle. And Christianity, uh, understanding the world through Christians' eyes, is such that we remember that every single day is a battle against the enemy of our soul. And so one of the tools that the Lord has given to us is this Bible memory, looking at God's Word, meditating on His Word. But another one is this. Now, in one sense, what are we doing? We're taking a sip of grape juice. And we're eating not even very good bread, I mean, if, if you think about it. it. It's really not that much, is it? But what I want you to take today is not a little pill of bread, is not a little sip of grape juice, What I want you to take today is the body and the blood of Christ given for you so that you will know that Christ is in you and He is working through you to make you the man and the woman that God has created you to be.